Jesus, as we know, did not reject the wealthy, but he called the tax collector and sent him as an apostle and evangelist to the lost sheep of Israel. Whether or not the Victorians foresaw it for this church, I don't know. But the church leadership here um, discern that St. Matt's is called to be an apostolic hub for building up and sending out to Widcombe and beyond. It's a really exciting season to be part of this church and just to see what God is doing in leading to fulfill its calling and its identity that I believe is in some way associated with St. Matthew. It sort of come under his heading. There are, of course, lots of different approaches to growing into this calling and identity. But tonight I want to talk about one way that we can progress towards that. I want to reflect on how we champion and encourage one another to grow in our giftings for God's glory. And it's particularly fitting today as we've been championing and praying for Nathan and Sarah and also for Katie as they step into these new roles using their gifts. Both our readings today were of the calling of an apprentice to join in the ministry and to learn. Elijah calls Elisha away from being a farmer to be a prophet. And Jesus calls Matthew away from collecting tax to be an apostle and evangelist. Both were trained in their respective ministries and then given the authority to take it on after Elijah and Jesus had ascended to heaven. And the handing on of mantles is something that we're all quite familiar with in culture and you know, one person succeeds into a job that somebody else has left and so on. But I just wanted to share with you how we can pray that and build each other up in that. And I want to share with you an experience that I've had of handing over a mantle on a really miniature scale. And in this case, it was of leadership. And it's a testimony that will give you an insight into uh, my ugly side, into one of my ugly sides at any rate. So please have mercy, but I think it's important to be vulnerable. Um, Whilst I was training at Trinity College uh, in Bristol, which is a very good place to be, I was elected to serve as student president for a year. And I embarked on the role prayerfully, and I listened to other people for advice. And my team and I did a good job, if I say so myself. We... (laughs) We served the community, we built them up, and we left it in a different place to the way we found it. But soon after I started the role, I began to pray that I would recognize um, the person who was going to take over from me. Not because I was wanting to uh, wriggle out of the role, but because I just felt that that was part of my role, was to prepare it for the next person. And so I prayed for discernment that I'd recognize them, but I also prayed another prayer. Um, It was a prayer that I sensed was from God, from his heart. And um, it was to pray that whatever ceiling I reached, whatever, um, whatever I achieved in this role, would be the floor for the next person. And I was quite 
to be honest, I was quite proud of this prayer. I thought it was quite a virtuous prayer to pray. And um, I thought it was quite a kingdom prayer. It really come from God's heart. And I thought, oh, this really is how God's kingdom is built if we do this. And so um, I prayed it with quite some gusto. Really put some welly into that. And I kept it ticking for a year or so. Um, and I was really quite pleased with this prayer until <laughs> I met the person who was to take over from me. And her name is Thea, and she is over 10 years younger than me. Uh, she had explored her call to ordained ministry while she was doing her degree, by the way. Just on, in passing, I thought I'd mention that. And she went into it straight away after her degree. Um, she approached this role with greater wisdom and prayerfulness than I had done. She took on the role and communicated more effectively than I did. She instigated some more creative initiatives and she made changes that I had overlooked. And she is right now leading her team with greater insight than I did. And on one level, it was so beautiful to see this young leader flourish as she stepped up into this role. But on another level, if I'm really honest with you, it was massively uncomfortable to see my good job that I had done fall into relative insignificance as I watched her excel. I looked back over my time of serving and I began to feel a bit of a sense of a failure and inadequacy. Now, over the years um, as walking as a Christian, I've developed, um, one, of, one of the healthy habits that I've developed is that whenever I notice something ugly in my reaction or in my character, I grab hold of it and I take it to God as quickly as I notice it. And I pretty much say, Lord, look at this ugly thing I found in me. Can you tell me how it got there and what I'm supposed to do with it? And so I, you know, and, and you can tell that it's not from God if it's not loving and so on. So I, I just take it to him. Because if we leave it in there, they just tend to fester and, I don't know, just get even uglier. So on this occasion, I took my sense of failure and my comparison or performance envy to God. And God gently showed me that what I was witnessing in fear was not evidence of my shortcomings and failure. That this is only how the world would see it and how the enemy discourages us. What I was seeing was, in fact, victory in the kingdom. I hadn't realized that the answer to that kingdom prayer would look and feel like this. My ceiling had become fear's floor. So taking it back to the Bible, how do I know that this is God's style of prayer? How do we know that it's his style of uh, handing on the mantle? Before he died, Elijah offered Elisha one last request to which he asked to be a worthy successor and he asked for twice as much power as that had been given to his master. 
Did Elisha receive the request? It's recorded that he performed exactly twice as many miracles as did Elijah, and Elijah wasn't exactly half-hearted in his ministry, if you know the stories of calling down fire and altars and things. He was, Elisha and Elijah, Elijah was a kingdom success because his ministry had pointed to the Lord and his sealing had become Elisha's floor. But what about Jesus calling Matthew? Surely nobody could succeed or better than, be better than Jesus. Just like Elijah did, Jesus calls Matthew away from his occupation to follow his example. Jesus prayed for him. We know that he prayed for his disciples and believers and he continues to pray for his disciples. So that's you and me. And we know that Jesus made this extraordinary declaration. He declared that his ceiling could be our floor. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. These greater things are, of course, not from our own ideas or strengths. You all know that, and that this requires living in Jesus, Jesus in us, being inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit. But it also all happens in community. Jesus' declaration was not to an individual, but to a group. There is... a popular book doing the rounds in the USA and around St. Matt's at the moment and it's called um, it's by Mark Batterson and it's called Chase the Lion and I haven't read very far through it but um, I gather it's about setting high ceilings it's about it's, it's saying that if your dream doesn't scare you then it's too small or continuing with my analogy if your ceiling seems reachable, it's too low. The point I want to draw out of Batterson's book today is that he says, your greatest legacy isn't your dream. Your greatest legacy is the next generation of dreamers and that, you, that your dream inspires, the dreams within the dreams, or those who stand on the ceiling that you reach. And that's why being in community is so important for us exercising our gifts. We need to do this together. We need to be spurring each other on, recognizing our gifts and encouraging each other. That our, um, yeah, I'm sorry. The, the world would say that to be the best, be famous, to break the record, win prizes so that you will be remembered. But the kingdom says, be your best and pray that the next person will be better. Strive to know God, but strive to enable your brothers and sisters to know God too, for them to recognize their gifts and grow. Run the race well so that you will enable the next person to run it stronger. Be a good encourager and encourage others to be better encouragers still. I know that performance is often seen in a bad light amongst Christians. 
But I mean this in a way that recognises the gifts that God has given each one of us. If we hide them or don't use them, then we are dishonouring God. So we do need to be using those gifts and um, excelling and striving in them to bring glory to him, and we need each other to help us with that. Like Jesus, we are not to be served, but to serve. Yesterday, I was attending yet another family wedding of the summer, and the scripture reading was taken from Philippians. Like other popular wedding passages, it may surprise you to know that it was not originally written specifically for weddings or married couples for guiding them, but it was written for community, for places like St. Matt's. We are caused to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We could look around us here in community and not envy, but promote one another, to notice other people's gifts and pray for them and encourage them. If there's an area we lead or excel in, begin to pray for the next person who will take on that area. Pray that God will be glorified through you, then more so through the next person. And I wonder whether the church in this nation is shriveling because we've not been praying in this way. Perhaps we've been praying selfishly. I don't know. A few weeks ago, um, I always, I've been praying that um, I may learn and grow in this curacy role. It's, um, I'm here for a few years and um, I've got a lot to learn. But recently I also began to pray for the next curate, which may sound silly, but it's just a repetition of my experience of seeing God's glory work through that prayer when I was at college. And I know it's going to be uncomfortable for me in 10 years' time to hear of how God has worked remarkably through the next curate, more so than he will have done through me. But for that, for God to do that, I need to be praying and striving and doing my best to enable that person to have a better footing to start from. And it's not because... Um, and it, it, I just pray this not for anybody's reputation, but because I'm really want to see God's kingdom here in Widcombe, here in Bath, in all our places of influence. And I really think it's a kingdom prayer that we could all be praying as we develop into this apostolic hub that we believe we're meant to be. Praying this is not um, age-dependent in that it isn't about older people praying for younger people. It's about we're all brothers and sisters together and it may be that we have areas that are um, better developed in younger people than um, compared to older people. So please, when you pray, don't feel restricted by age. And it works both ways. When we recognize in other someone, in somebody else who has a gift or a strength or a calling that is stronger than ours, we can ask them to mentor us, to pray for us, to, um, to guide us in that area of development, to seek out mentors. 
And that's, I think, why the Victorians and others have sought out these patron saints to be that example that's gone on ahead of us, an example that they can draw from. It's said that we each need to have a Barnabas, a Paul, and a Timothy in our life. Somebody to encourage us, to mentor us, someone to partner with in ministry, and someone else for us to encourage and guide. And that's what builds up a healthy kingdom-building community. So I encourage us in a moment when we pray for you to pray about who your Barnabas is, who your encourager is, who the person is who uh, has the greater measure of the giftings that you have. To see who it is that you can be partnering with in sharing the gospel. But also to ask God who you can be encouraging, building up and praying for. Who you can pray that whatever ceiling you reach in your area of gifting or influence might be their floor. And you may not know that person yet. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be kingdom builders. This is not a role for a select few, but for each of us right now. And there's nobody in this room who has nothing to offer. God has gone ahead and prepared good works for each of you. If you believe that you don't have anything to offer, it is a lie. You just might not recognize what it is yet. Nobody in the kingdom is redundant because that is not God's style. So I just want us to perhaps pause and pray that we can um, recognize who those people are and um, yeah, and just begin to pray those daring prayers that may, when you see the fruit, make you feel remarkably uncomfortable. But it would be, um, that's the kingdom way to see um, others preferred above us and to set them up. So let's just pause and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gifts that you have given. We thank you that you have a calling on each of our lives. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come and that you will show uh, each of us where our strengths and gifts lie.